0: Uh, very good morning to you. Um, it's lovely to see you again. Let me add my welcome to you. If, if, you, um, if you haven't done so already, uh, now would be a really good time just to break. And to, uh, if, if you have children that you would like to go to Sunday groups or creche, we have those running. So please feel free to uh, uh, to just head out now. That's, that's great. Um, and for the rest of us in here, um, if you... Uh, yeah, it's lovely to see you. It's really lovely to see you. Uh, just to let you know, um, as Richard has already said, my name is Ben, and um, it's uh, a privilege to be one of the leaders here of this church. Um, we're going to have a look-, look at that chapter in Ezra, so please do keep your Bibles open there, um, because it's, that's going to be helpful for you and for me. And um, just to say, there is a sermon handout on your tables as well, um, if you like to kind of follow along with these things. Um, the other thing to say is, uh, just after the sermon, we have a, a, a time for discussion where we talk about what's been said. And um, there's just a brief opportunity to ask questions or to add in comments or um, to say something um, about what's, what's been said. And there's just a box at the back that, that, um, that really is there for you to, you, know, you might want to jot something down that comes to mind or might want to jot down a question that you have um, as you're listening. Um, So just to to flag that up, Uh, what we're going to do is we're going to pray for God's help and um, then we're going to uh, have a look at that passage. So let's pray um, together now. Father, thank you so much that you're a God of grace. Uh, Thank you that you um, sent your son, um, that we might know you. And thank you that, we, uh, that, that we, we really don't deserve that. And yet this morning um, we uh, come to you uh, as a God who wants a relationship with us, and as a God who speaks to us. Um, Father, we uh, just pray, therefore, this morning that you would speak to us um, in the stillness as we've just sung. Um, and that you would speak directly to our hearts. Father, pray that you do that by your spirit. Um, Pray, uh, Father, that you would work in us this morning to open our eyes, that we may know you more, and ultimately we may praise you and rejoice in you for who you are. Father, uh, pray for the kids who've just gone out. We thank you for them. And uh, we just pray this morning for the Sunday group teachers and and those teaching in creche, that they would teach faithfully, and um, that those children may know Jesus for themselves. Father, uh, we recognise it's such a privilege this morning to be coming before you and hearing from you. And we pray now um, that that would do our souls good, and again that we may know you more because of it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what is it that uh, makes a building beautiful? What gives a building honour? <clears throat> I guess you could say a number of things, couldn't you, based on our own preferences. So we might talk about windows, or floors, or roofs, or simplicity, or the way a place is decorated. Um, you know, or, or if you ever watch kind of... Um, uh grand designs you know that that program um i think it's on channel 4 these days you know we often see these buildings that are considered honorable because of the kind of big ideas that are plowed into them um you know they ha- often have these incredible features uh, so things like swimming pools on roofs or massive kind of glass walls uh, that give great views or spiral floating staircases um Huge sliding automatic doors, that kind of thing, and you often watch these things, don't you? And you just think, "Wow, uh, you know, even if you wouldn't like to live in a place like that, you think actually that does have a real beauty about it." Um, and I guess we can think the same kind of thing as you know, uh, not just of a, a TV program, but but um, London landmarks. So, uh, like the height and the sharpness of the, the Shard, uh, for example, or the novelty of the, the Gherkin. Um, or the detail involved in, in Tower Bridge, um, that kind of thing. Yeah, these are really beautiful buildings um, because of their features. I guess you can hear often as well uh, that that is the way people talk about church buildings. So people are amazed, aren't they, at the high-patterned ceilings, stained-glass windows um, and detailed kind of stone statue and carvings you know, the amount of work that's gone into these things and that is what people marvel at You know, for many people th- this is what makes the building beautiful now on one level um, that's true isn't it these, these bu- buildings are beautiful all the, all the things I've just talked about because of what we see the question for us this morning though is what about the building in Ezra that's what we've been seeing over the last few weeks uh, how God has brought his people up from, from being in captivity and he's been working in them and through them to build his temple, to build his own house. And last week we saw that this was completed. They finished it. And the people celebrated. And the question that we face this week is what gives that building honour? You know what is it that the people you know you look at this building, this temple that they've built, the house of God? What is it that makes them think, wow? You know that what a, what a beautiful place. Maybe it's uh, its size, or its uh, kind of very square, rigid, ordered design. Um, perhaps the materials that they used were quite striking. It's interesting, isn't it, when, when, we, when we think in those terms, we're actually kind of left guessing. Because in all the building that's been going on, we haven't actually heard much about the building itself. Yet you, you, don't, you don't really know what the, the temple looks like, because we're not told. You, know, you, you read Ezra, and you can't actually visualise the temple That's because it was never meant to be a nice building for people to look at. You see, the temple is is a place where the people of God are supposed to meet with God. That's what we've seen throughout chapters 1 to 6. So God is building his temple so that people can come to him and know him and meet with him and worship him. And then what happens is the temple is completed. Around 50 years pass between the end of chapter 6 and where we are now in chapter 7. There's 50 years gone by. And from here on, what we see, uh, what, what God really wants now the building has finished, the thing that brings honour to his temple, you know, the thing of real beauty, is the people. And more specifically, it is a people who live for him, according to his law. Now, of course, that's also true, isn't it, of God's temple today. So we sung uh, earlier on, not a brick building, not any church building, but his people. That's where God dwells today. You see, beauty is found in God's church not when his people sit in a room surrounded by stained glass windows, not when uh, it has a nice looking logo, not when they run lots of successful events or programs, but when those people seek to honour God in their lives. That's what God wants. And, and we see that that is His desire here in chapter 7. So, what happens is, is God brings up a second load of people from exile. And in particular, He brings up a guy called Ezra. And as we meet this Ezra, we see that actually, and we see his God given task, it's clear to us that what, what, what brings honour. To his temple, what, what brings you know, beauty to it is a people who honour God. Now we see that with uh, three things about Ezra this morning. The first is his role. So the first thing we see is Ezra's role. Ezra's role. So we're introduced here straight away to Ezra in a, a slightly strange way. So we, we get his family history. Just just read me from from verse 1 of chapter 7, after these things, during the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, son of Saraiah, son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, the son of Shalim, the son of Zadok, the son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Merioth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Abishah, The son of Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the chief priest, this Ezra came up from Babylon. Now, the thing is, this this is his family line, and it it tells us something about his role, because this Ezra comes from a line of priests and uh, Levites. That's who these people are. And it means that Ezra himself is qualified as a priest. He, he, he is able to give these people access to God, to bring them to God in the temple. But there's a bit more to it than that. There's something more explicit that we're supposed to see about the role of Ezra. Just have a look again at verse 6. He's not only a priest. Verse 6, this Ezra came up from Babylon. He was a teacher. A teacher well versed in the law of Moses which the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. The king granted him everything he asked, for the hand of the Lord his God was on him. See, Ezra is a teacher of the law. Now, look, that is what priests often did. That's not, that's not a real surprise to us. They, they, they would give access to God, so they, they bring the people to meet God, but they also teach the people about God. And yet, you know, even though that's what priests did, it's clear that he's not just an ordinary teacher, is it? So verse 7 tells us that there's others, even other priests, that have similar, similar roles coming up with him, and yet he's clearly singled out. So the hand of the Lord was on Ezra. Yet God is acting for this guy's good, not just before the king, but also to ensure that this teacher arrives. Just have a look at verse 8. Ezra arrived in Jerusalem in the fifth month of the seventh year of the king. He had begun his journey from Babylon on the first day of the first month, and he arrived in Jerusalem on the first day of the fifth month. For the gracious hand of his God was on him. So we see there, don't we, that it's a five month journey that he's taken, and we'll see in next week in chapter eight that it's a dangerous journey. And yet God's gracious hand makes sure that he gets there. Now the question is why? At this point, you know, why why is it that Ezra is singled out? Why is it that God's hand is upon him? Well, we see the, the reason in verse ten. Here's the reason for Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord, and to teaching its decrees and laws in Israel. You see, Ezra was not just a man who came from a particular line. He was not someone who could just teach the law, kind of open the book and tell you something about it. He was a man of integrity, So he he sought to know the law. He, He studied it, not just the Ten Commandments, but the broader instructions throughout the whole Old Testament. Yeah, he would seek that and observe it. That means, as he studied God's word, he put it into practice himself. And only then did he teach it to others. Ezra set his heart on doing this. And that's the reason that God's hand was upon him. Now look, it, what that doesn't mean is that it, you know, if we're to do the same, we, we somehow earn God's favour. That if we follow this model, somehow then God's hand is upon us and, and the king gives us whatever we ask for actually what this teaches us is that this is what God wanted for his temple. Yeah, his hand was on Ezra, not because Ezra was great, but because God wants a man of integrity for his people. So yeah, God wants the law to be taught. Yeah, that's absolutely key but he wants more than that God brings up a man who lives out what he teaches who practices what he preaches who is an example of what it means to live for God and that's Ezra's role and you see if that's God's desire for his temple both then and now, for, for this temple, you know, if this is what is intended for the church, then isn't that what we ought to be doing? So of course, we, we want to be word-centred, don't we? We, we? we want to be teaching the word of God all the time. But, but as you do that, as you, as, you, so you, as you open up the Bible with your children at home, Or as you meet with somebody one to one to look at the Bible, or as you teach in Sunday groups, or as you lead a home group, or participate at home group, you know, as some of us teach here from the front, we're to be learners and doers before we're teachers. And just to say that. The New Testament would would say very clearly that that Richard Richard and I have a particular responsibility in this. Yeah, we need to seek and observe to put into practice what we see in this book before we teach it. And the truth is, as much as you pray for us in that, which we really desperately need, you know, as much as we strive for that, I know that I at least will let you down. You know, far too often I take this far too lightly. And that's where, of course, we, we're driven, isn't it, back to Christ. Yeah, you know, that's, that's really who Ezra points us to. You know, Jesus is our high priest and Jesus is our perfect teacher. So he is the one, Jesus is the one who both gives us access to God, who brings us to God, and the one who teaches us, having lived perfectly for God. Yeah, he's the teacher that the church really needs. And so all the teaching that we do, if, if nothing else, needs to point to him. It needs to point to Christ. He's our true teacher. So that's what happens. That he, you know, Ezra arrives. He, he's kind of God, God is bringing him up. But before we see him, anything of his arrival, we, we actually see his task. What is it to be... He's, so yes, yeah, he's a teacher, but what is it that he's to be doing? Well, this is the second thing we see. Ezra's task. Uh, Ezra's task. That's the second thing we see this morning. So we see here that um, there's a king, King Artaxerxes, who writes to Ezra and he tells him what is to happen as he returns. Okay, now verse 12 tells us that the king knows that Ezra is a teacher of the law and his task then, from what he writes, is to ensure that the people live according to the law. Now the extraordinary thing we see here is that the king provides everything that is needed to do that and we see this happening in three kind of separate um, what you would call decrees or orders uh, that appear in this letter so the, the first thing the king says is look, the, the people will be measured against the law that is, Ezra is to go along with side others and they are to see whether the people are actually living according to the law already you, you see that there in verse, from verse 13 just have a look down there Uh, Here's what the king says, Now I decree that any of the Israelites in my kingdom, including priests and Levites who volunteer to go up to Jerusalem with you, may go. You are sent by the king and his seven advisors to inquire about Judah and Jerusalem with regard to the law of your God, which is in your hand. You see, so they're to say to the people, Look, you're here at God's temple. Are you living for him? And it's anticipated that in some ways they won't be that the people will be falling short. So in verse 15 and 16, we see the king grants Ezra these silver, gold, and money, and offerings, so that, as they're found short, they're to sacrifice and seek forgiveness. You see that there in verse 17. Have a look at that. He says, with this money, the money that he's just given them, be sure to buy bulls, rams, and male lambs, together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, and sacrifice them on the altar of the temple of your God in Jerusalem. He says, be sure to do this. Be sure to buy these things. In verse 18, the king says, look, buy whatever else you like, according to the will of your God. Articles for the temple in verse 19, but anything else is needed. Verse 20, opens up the royal treasury, and yet the sacrifices are what to be made sure of. Because that is part of living for the law. Now, I guess we we need to hear this, but particularly if you're not a Christian, you need to hear this. That when the people don't get it right, they sacrifice for their sin. (laughs) That's what the sacrifice is all about on on the altar. They were seeking forgiveness. Yeah, that, that, is, that is what it means to live by the law. Not just living in a certain way, but, but turning to God when you get it wrong, rather than burying your head in the sand. Now, on top of that, uh, Ezra's task is to ensure that their worship is, is orders. Uh, what, 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 they, what they did at the temple was to be dictated by the law. So, again, the king provides for this. Amazingly, in verse 21. Uh, he orders that the treasurers, the whole area, give Ezra whatever he needs. And then he specifies what, uh, what that will be, what, what they need will be. So have a look there in verse 22. Um, he says, up to 100 talents of silver, 100 uh, cores of wheat, 100 baths of wine, 100 uh, baths of olive oil and salt without limit. Whatever the God of heaven has prescribed, let it be done with diligence for the temple of the God of heaven. You see, these materials that I've just listed, wheat, wine, olive oil, they'll be used to offer to God as acts of worship. And verse 23 tells us that's not just random. They don't just buy random stuff to to offer to God. It's as God has prescribed, as he has instructed them. That's how they're to do things in the temple. They don't don't just turn up and offer whatever they think is best. What's done in the temple is according to God's law. That's his second uh, kind of task. The final thing we see is that um, uh, the law is simply to be obeyed. And it's to rule and govern the whole land. let have a look at verse 25. As you, Ezra, in accordance with the wisdom of your God which you possess, appoint magistrates and judges to administer justice to all the people of trans-Euphrates, that's the whole area, all who know the laws of your God, and you are to teach any who do not know them whoever does not obey the law of your God and the law of the king will surely be punished by death, banishment, confiscation of property and imprisonment you see Ezra's task is to ensure that the law is obeyed is to ensure that their worship is ordered and is to ensure that the law is a measure for the people and when they fall short they turn back to him In summary, I guess what he's saying is, look, Ezra's task is to ensure that the people live in every way according to the law. And for this task, the king has given him all that he asks for. The king provides everything that is needed for Ezra to ensure that the people live by the law, that they live for God. Now, the question at this point is, look, why would the king do this? Why would this king, he's a pagan king, why would he do this? Well, actually, it's not too unrealistic. So there's, there's several reasons. There's a culture of uh, uh, freedom in worship, so all gods, all forms of worship, were to be respected. Uh, there was also this kind of pagan belief that if you did this as a king, then the various gods that you respect would respect you. That's, that's probably why... You see the king saying in verse 23, Look, I'm making sure of this. Why should God's wrath fall on me? In other words, if I do this, I'll be okay. And as well as that, um, at the time, Persia was kind of falling apart. So one of the reasons that the king might welcome and push God's law is to bring order to the people. He might think it it would do the whole region some good. Uh, That might why he wants it taught to everyone in verse 25 now these are all good reasons aren't they but but the amount of money being thrown around here is actually crazy and it's also helpful to remember that this is the same king in chapter 4 that we see opposing the people opposing this God and so the ultimate reason why this is happening is the reason we see in verse 27 you see that God has put this in the king's heart. God has moved the king to give Ezra this task. Which again means that this is the desire of God himself. What God wants is his people to live for him. In every way. And the encouragement for us is that he provides for that. He provides everything we need to live for him. Now, of course, that doesn't guarantee that God will move authorities in the same way for us. It doesn't mean that... that, that the governments are as generous towards us but actually don't you see we don't need that not in the same way these people did because right here, right now we've been provided for we have everything we need to live for God because God has given us his son and Jesus is the one who fulfills what we see here so we, we don't need money for sacrifices because Jesus is our sacrifice You see, so when we fail, then we turn to him. And we know that actually he's taken all of our sin. We are completely forgiven because of his sacrifice. We don't need to to order a temple building in a certain way. We we, we don't need to, to buy ornaments for this building because Jesus is our temple. And the church is built on him. And so what we do here is all about Jesus. We don't need uh, magistrates or or judges because Jesus is our judge. You know, we seek to obey him and we seek to obey the law of Christ. And then to hold him out to others. You see... God has given us, in, in Christ, God has given us everything we need to live for him. And that, then, is the main task that we face here. That's what we should be striving to do. I guess it's, uh, it's a bit like being, um, you know, it's just like it's being brought into your own kind of building project. So we've likened this series to um, sort of something like DIY SOS. And if you imagine that, if you, you kind of get, I don't know, Nick Knowles gives you a call and you're some, you're, you, you go into this thing where you're renovating something for somebody. You know, and regardless of whether you enjoy that kind of stuff or not, you, know, you turn up to get involved and you have a job to do, but everything is there for you so that you can do it. So you have specific instructions, you have the tools you need, you have a, a team around you to help you, and you have an amazing boss that will only ever help you to do that. It's all there. The question is whether you actually go there and use it. Yeah. The question for us is, look, do we go to Christ knowing he provides everything we need, saying, I, I, you know, I need you to live for you. I, I need you to help me, to give me everything I need. Now, often, I, I guess that seems like, you know, for me at least, that, that seems like too much of a hard task. Or something that we'd rather not get involved with. But but that's not the response, actually, we see from Ezra. This is the final thing that we see this morning. Ezra's response. Ezra's response. So, following the spelling out of task, we have this personal response from Ezra himself. Just have a look at what he says in verse 27. He says... Praise be to the Lord, the God of our ancestors, who has put it into the king's heart to bring honour to the house of the Lord in Jerusalem in this way. Now, that's, that's why God has brought Ezra up to teach. Why he's, that's why he's moved the heart of the king. That's why God wants the people to live for him because it's in this way that he brings honour to his temple. That's what makes it beautiful. And Ezra's response is to praise God. He's praising him for his law. He's praising him for the fact that a bunch of people who would live for God would bring honour to his temple. He doesn't just praise him though. He also acts in verse 28. You see that? He and he was extended, uh, so he continues to praise him, talking about God. He's the one who's extended his good favour to me before the king and all his advisers and all the king's powerful officials. Because the hand of the Lord of God, my God was on me, I took courage and gathered leaders from Israel to go up with me. Now next week we'll see Ezra doing this. We'll see the details of Ezra's return. But for now, he knows and trusts that God's hand is on him. All that, all that the king ordered will happen. God really does provide for his task. And so the question for us here really is, is our response the same as Ezra's? That is, do we praise God that he brings honour to his temple in this way? Do we see it as a great thing that God wants his people to live for him? That he orders everything that that would be the case? You see, the general attitude of our culture that that can so easily just seep into the church is is the kind of idea that any kind of law, any kind of right or wrong, any kind of set way of living is restrictive. And it's therefore bad. Because it goes against the freedom of just being who we want to be and doing what we want to do. And I guess that is so often a stumbling block to Christianity. Isn't it? That people don't actually want to give up their own lives to give them over to God. You know, to to live in his way and not our own way. Now the thought behind that is simply that God couldn't possibly be a good God. Yeah, we, we, we know that God exists, but often we simply doubt that he would want the best for us, even with the right restrictions, even with the law. And yet Ezra's response says to us that, you know, giving our lives to God is the thing that makes the church wonderful. It's the thing that brings the church honour. It's the best way to live. And, and that's the promise of the Bible, isn't it? That, yes, you give your, give your life over to God. If you, if you come to Christ, you give your life over to God. And effectively, you lose your life. You lose what you want to do. And yet, at that very moment, you gain it. You see, Ezra is convinced that this is a good thing. That all of this is absolutely... You know, the thing that makes the, the temple, the church, beautiful. And we will only ever be people who, who actually strive to live for God if we begin to think in the same way. If we see his law as a good thing, if we praise God for his law and for giving us all we need to live according to it. Let's pray together. Father, we do praise you that you're a good God. Praise you that um, uh, you do clearly tell us how to live. Uh, Father, that you provided everything we need to do that. And that as your people follow Christ... that um, actually that's the thing that, that makes this church a beautiful thing. Father, we pray for your help. We desperately need it. And we pray that we would increasingly grow in Jesus to glorify your name. Amen. So, um, as I said, we just have a, we have a couple of minutes um, discussion. Um, you might want to uh, do a number of things. You, you might want to move, if you're on your own, so that you can talk with somebody. Um, you The thought of this may horrify you. Please don't worry if that's the case. If you, if you really don't want to discuss what's been said, that's fine. You can go and grab another drink, or you can... Um, you can, you know, you, you can remain there on your your own if you want, or you or you can you can even move away from the person sitting next to you. It's um, up to you. But what we'll do have a couple of minutes just discussion, and then if you want to ask anything or you want to say anything, then we'll have time for that too. Uh, so let's just have a couple of minutes. Um, David, if you if you um. Yeah, if you're speaking to the microphone, for just I don't re- think I need that. Do no, I? no, but it's it's <laughs> helpful for the recording, Mr. Brown.
1: Okay, okay, right. Just to say that um, we're talking. You started off by talking about um, the building being beautiful, yeah, yeah, and you finished off by saying, "Give your life to God, um, and that moment you will gain something." Now, um, in one Corinthians three. Uh, 3 Verse 16, it says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple yeah. and that God's spirit lives among you? If anyone destroy God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple.
0: Yeah.
1: And that really came, came home as we were talking about the beauty at the beginning.
0: Yeah.
1: Is the building beautiful? Are we beautiful? Because we are God's temple. And the fact is, you said that if we give our life to God, that moment, instead of losing something, we gain something. Yeah. We gain the privilege of God's Spirit actually living in us. He yeah. regards us yeah. as his temple. Yeah. How beautiful are we?
0: Yeah, amazing, yeah. Thank you very much. That's great. Yeah. Anyone else at all? me over there
2: thank you Um, maybe just a quick comment to emphasize what you've already said I think it's um, it's very hard to give up your life Um, I always think about the fishermen when Jesus came and he called them And in the middle of fishing, and they say, just drop everything Mm. and follow me. Don't worry about your parents, your father, your mother, your brothers. Mm. Don't worry about all that. Just drop. And they did. And I always think that is very hard. Mm. And then the other thing is, when you called them, um, they had things to bring to God. So the point I wanted to make really was, it is very difficult to give up your life. But once you do, you realize that all the things that you think are yours are actually for God. These yeah. are the tools that God has provided for his work. Mm. Um, and do not be deceived. It is very hard. But once you do it, then, you know, you'll be on the right path. Mm. Yeah. Thanks,
0: Jimmy. I, I think it's worth, it, it's just worth, on, on, the, on the back of that, it's, you know, I, I, I think where we need to start is, is with, with the attitude that Ezra has, you know. So he he's like Pray, praise God that you would that this is a good thing. Yeah you know, um and I think that's that's where we need to um that's where we need to set our minds and our hearts isn't it actually look, you know when I get up, to live to live for God and not my not not myself is um is a great thing. And actually as if we have that attitude, that's when we that's when you when you when you you can turn to him. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. I think the other thing to say is that we, the, I guess the point here is that we don't just do that individ- individually, we do it as a church. Um, so this, this is, this is um, you know, this is addressed to Ezra so that the people, all the people, might be doing this. Um, and therefore we're, we're here to help one another. You know, we, we need to help one another in this. Um, because as you say, Jimmy, it's hard. Yeah, but thanks very much. Yeah. Uh, anything else? Great. Okay. Well, we're going to sing again, and um, we're going to sing a song that really—it's—you I mean, uh, uh, may know this. Um, it's all about not only giving our lives to Christ. But the fact that that's something that brings us joy and is is an overwhelmingly great thing to do. So let's stand and sing this, I Want to Follow Jesus Christ. seats uh, it's been really really uh, lovely to um, be with you this morning um, just to say there's there, there's more refreshments available and please do stick around there's no uh, rush to um, uh, leave um, uh, or pack away this morning we, 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 we love to spend time together um, uh, on a Sunday morning Um just to say, if you're um, uh, visiting us, uh, uh, then there is a, um, a postcard on your um, tables. If you'd like to know more, um, you can fill one of these in and someone will get in touch with you. Um, uh, but let me, let me pray for us as we finish. Um, let's pray.